0: Hi, I'm Karen Derrickades, and you're listening to We Make Media, a podcast about how the culture we produce shapes media and how that goes both ways. Hi, you're listening to We Make Media and I'm here with Jenny Norton. She's an interdisciplinary artist whose work melds and matches digital and physical worlds through kinetic sculptures, interactive video, augmented reality and stereoscopic photography. Her works have paired 2D and 3D viewing experiences for viewers and uses reflections and projections in positively hypnotic ways. Her works are uh, conceptually grounded in themes of science and technology, while somehow occupying this dreamlike unreal space that will have you asking, how did she do that? <laughs> I've asked her to talk to me today about just that. How she makes uh, her immer- these immersive experiences interactive for audiences, how her PhD supports her access to emerging technologies she uses in her work and where she sees augmented reality going in 10 years. Um, Hi, Jenny. How's it going?
1: Hello. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Mm, It's my pleasure. Uh, Jen or Jenny? I don't mind either. The E is actually just because there are many Jen Nortons out there. At least, uh, I think in Canada and the United States, Jennifer was the most popular name between 1978 and 1982 or something like that. So the E is definitely a practical use for me
0: that's so funny that you say that because so you were born in, in between those years which almost everybody i've spoken to has been so am i which is a micro generation called the xennials mm-hmm. right and that micro generation stuff keeps coming up more and more with me and the young people i work with because they're like 15 year olds would be like these 10 year olds and tiktok and i'm like what uh- <laughs> <laughs> We have this kind of unique thing that we bring to the world of the internet of remembering before, yes, especially on the yeah. research piece in terms of accessing all the things that are out there now online. Um, I find that that's a very different relationship than than young people I work with who just take what the algorithm and the first five pages um,
1: give them. Yep. There is definitely a, a shift for me between looking through an old encyclopedia and looking at Wikipedia. So it's actually, I think, as you're saying, a very unique place to be in because I just turned 40 and I feel like as I was exiting my teenage years, I was becoming more and more dependent upon researching things through the internet. So I think just having that sensibility often informs my practice. Like I have made several works about the housing of old physical documents and having a one-to-one connection with the, the thing that you're holding, the object that you're looking at and how to have access to that and then having something in which like a cloud <laughs> where many, many people can access this at once and like the difference between that type of accessibility to information and what is maintained and what becomes accessible and who can do that so it's something that is quite important to a lot of the work that i've made
0: yes yes i definitely want to talk about that more with you yeah because i I have the same well i mean i used to make collage stuff i used to go to the toronto reference library and go through their image libraries before workshops because i went to culture jam like monuments and like high art and like stuff like that so i would go and i'd photocopy for hours and the search way was very different and then slowly you know it did not until now i have like a relic of a studio full of collage supplies that i almost never use there was a period where i used to use both because you couldn't find online and my obsession is with that process of digitizing and what gets lost and like whose stories get digitized first and what is lacking in terms of representation within the commons like what you don't see and as we move and then there's new people that are born into it and wouldn't even consider of looking in an analog archive like what gets lost in that
1: what gets lost and how is it read too when when something goes from one format to another like sometimes it doesn't all come through (laughs) like sound for example is a good example of that like through compression there's a lot that doesn't make it
0: (laughs) right so can you explain for folks like what
1: kinetic sculpture is What, what that entails sure I make sometimes sculptures that move, <laughs> and usually there's some kind of mechanism that receives a signal to turn something like a solenoid or a motor on or off. What's a solenoid? It's uh, an electromagnet that opens and closes depending on whether it's on and or off. Um, there's one in like what your washing machine when it switches into like a different cycle (laughs) but there's lots of examples of solenoids like in doorbells and stuff like that but I used one in in a kinetic sculpture that used an audio signal from a VHS tape to simulate banging so it was a kid locked in a locker that was like begging people to help her out (laughs) of the space and I placed it within a bunch of other lockers, so it was just this one, and then you would see the person peering out of the vents of the sculpture. But then I also made some that were soft sculptures that didn't have um, an electronic component to make it move. It was the interaction with the person, the user, so there was this big soft sculpture that worked with springs and aircraft cable on the inside of this giant bear chair. So when someone sat down on it, the arms closed <laughs> and, hugged, and hugged the viewer in. Um, so that was an example of kinetic sculpture that did not need electricity although there was a heating pad and a vibration so it like felt like it was gurring <laughs> when it was on and then other elements of some kinetic sculpture that i've used has has relied upon like temperature like something melting like butter or ice to make the next thing go like as a chain reaction so there's like basically a kinetic sculpture is something that uses movement as an integral component of the work
0: so stereoscopic it's coming back in a big way yeah it's being used in fashion kind of gif stuff why do you think now in terms of the technology and stuff and and from your own use of
1: it it's really interesting because some of the technology is really old like having you know two eyepieces like just dividing the vision like using a a cardboard add-on to your phone for instance that just divides up to a split image and with the proper lenses can make uh, a stereoscopic image appear. But w- I think...
0: Which is essentially a 3D, um, yeah, just for folks who... Yeah. yeah,
1: so like your conventional video channel is monoscopic, meaning that there's one image that you're looking at and it is on a 2D plane, as is the stereoscopic one. It just creates the illusion that there's depth because your two eyes are seeing a slightly different angle. And I think when I started doing stereoscopic uh, works, I think that was in 2011 was the first time I did it. It was for an immersive installation and it used a lot of technology. And I had a residency with Communitech, which is sort of like a, a think tank in Kitchener and it, had, it was Google and RIM and Christie Digital and all of these companies that work with display technologies. And the work that I made there, it, it'll never be remounted because it required so much of their facilities and their technology. And one room was just like, there was a hidden room that was just servers to make this environment run. So it was interesting to do it, but it was kind of like, oh, well, that was nice when that happened. It's over now. <laughs> like, I don't have access to all that stuff. But I think now, like, the more powerful people's phones are becoming, and also relying on pre cinematic technologies like, you know, the stereoscopic photography that we see from the late 1800s or early 1900s is coming together to make it accessible for many, many people. Like, you, if you can get your hands on the Google Cardboard. <laughs> And you have a phone that can handle, I don't know, some virtual reality, or even if it's just a split image that it could be an archival stereoscopic image. When I did it the first time around, I was using active shutter glasses, which is kind of exhausting on the eye.
0: Are those and those it, cute glasses with the, with the little antennas and stuff that-
1: Yeah. Oh my God, they <laughs> well, <I> love
0: those. <laughs> Fashion. Uh,
1: and they're always like blinking on and off between the, your your left and right eye. So, but you
0: don't sense that, or you do? You, like that's what uh, eventually is difficult. But you don't you don't perceive that necessarily through your eyes.
1: I didn't know that it was bothering me <laughs> until after I worked for a whole bunch of hours making this thing, and I take off my eyes. Sorry, I'd take off my glasses and look at my eyes in the mirror, and I'd see like these red bloody veins. <laughs> running through. Right. It's just like yeah, I think my eyes are exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> so I think maybe moving away from things that are a little too draining physically. Was that test for Tesseract? That was for Tesseract, yeah. And I used it for several other projects later because I had bought these glasses in a relatively cheap 3D projector. And uh, I'd always have to bring the glasses to wherever I was going and make sure that there was enough of them for to show in a gallery setting or something like that. And then after a while, it's just like you know what I I hate dealing with these glasses. I hate having them always to be charged and babysat and like disinfected and all that kind of stuff. So and where um, did you get those glasses? And are they developer uh, glass?
0: Like, is there something
1: that you? I think it's an, an Optoma to? projector, and there's like a synchronizer that you plug into the back of the projector, and it sends out a signal for those glasses to work with the same shutter, like on/off as the video signal. And actually, my friend bought it. For me, from Costco, <laughs> it was available at Costco, and I didn't have a Costco membership. It was just a like you know Epson and Optoma. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Optoma properly. Maybe it's Optima. I don't know. Anyhow, whatever. It was that <laughs> projector, and it was it was one of the first consumer 3D projectors. When I first started doing 3D animation, I had to buy a lot of like gaming things. So I had a gaming monitor, and I used the glasses for that, and. Uh, yeah, I kind of, like, abandoned it for a stereoscopic video for, I don't know, like, five years or something. Because I was just like, I hate <laughs> how hard this is and how difficult it is to show it in a gallery setting. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you, that: how
0: did you come to making uh, augmented reality works? Whether you ever work with developer
1: headsets, like HoloLens and what's the... the... Vive. I have a Vive. <laughs> it's like Oculus. And, uh... Yeah, it's pretty fun. Is it a lot less frustrating than the experience with the... Uh... No. <laughs> <thing>? <laughs> nope.
0: Uh, Is it more accessible? No. I mean, in terms of people, like, in terms of different heads, their heads are not that uniform, right? So they say by the time, if they really want it to hit critical mass, it'll have to be, like, the glasses you're wearing on your face right now. Like, it'll have to be made for you.
1: And it's it's heavy. They're heavy. Like, uh, after a while, you just feel like your face is being pulled down (laughs) with gravity because there's so much weight being applied across the bridge of your nose. But I guess I became interested in augmented reality because just always loved being able to share kind of an imaginative view with people. So I love animation, but also as somebody who works in installation, I love creating sort of like a spatial aspect to it in which like the work and the space and someone in that space are are kind of enmeshed. Like you're experiencing it on some like a multi multisensory way. I just wanted to somehow get off of the wall of projection or off of the plane of flat screens, which arguably, you know, it's still on a screen, but our ability to move around an augmented reality kind of gives it like a spatial, I, I feel like they're almost sculptural augmented reality experiences. I love kind of making a cognitive space, but like even the way like old painters did with Las Meninas, that painting where you can see a reflection of where you would be standing as the viewer and the artist is included. And so like you kind of, it kind of breaks the frame in your imagination. And then I wanted to do that somehow with video and with the animations I was creating. So I kind of wanted the worlds to blend and I wanted to share these sort of thoughts and imaginings that I had in a way that was not just like a projection on the wall. Making that work that you referred to, Tesseract, that happened at the Kitchener community tech hub. That was the first time that I was able to see in a visual way what other people were looking at in time. So when they moved around looking at something, there were sensors that were reading the reflective, like the little antenna that were coming off of the glasses. So when they moved around, that changed the projection so that everybody else could see what angle that person was looking at. And to me, that was super fascinating. It's like that person is deciding what they look at and how they look at it and how much time they spend on this detail or that detail which is like you know kind of how we look at the world anyway but I thought it was interesting for me as an artist to see how it's influencing the apparatus like this is what's being seen now not the thing that I like yes the content that I place there but they're deciding you know what pixels are going to be where at what time I love that something that I think is super potent in AR and that is to have some kind of annotation and intervention with sites that already exist. And I know some artists have done this um, in the past to talk about the violence at the border between Mexico and the United States and to almost like have a monument for people who have suffered that violence. And there's so many sites to have some type of annotation by artists or activists or anybody or anyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm really excited to see what people develop once that information of how to use this technology becomes more available and is taught in a more conversational type of way. And I always think that's the really, exciting part about when people that did not develop a technology get access to it because through their authorship, the technology often will bend and will like, okay, well, we see people are using it in this way. So they kind of shape the future of those too.
0: The people that are putting all the money into it are companies. And it's for the stuff that's going to be the dystopia that people are afraid of. Flashy nightmare where like, you know, even more screens and things flashing in your face and everywhere. But I think that there is a world uh, where, again, it can be so so aesthetically like beautiful and also like interactive culture jamming like using augmented reality to block out an advertisement in your neighborhood. Yeah like Steve
1: Mann. Steve Mann did this before we were even talking about augmented reality in in a a mainstream way because quite a long time ago to okay well my world is shaped by companies and corporations and with all these different agendas I can shape how I I see that and what I can see and it's like it's having some kind of agency in a place where you're bombarded by these different types of intrusions whether a capitalistic intrusion or otherwise. So with the AR works or any other work how do you do the interactive piece is that all like coding? Coding helps you get there but there's a lot of say just for unity in the asset store there's a lot that has been coded for users it's like Uh, lean touch allows a lot of interaction that's done as an add-on that's just like oh I want it to be able to turn when the person touches it and uh, touches the screen and drags like to do that through coding yourself would take a lot of searching, (laughs) at least for me, because I'm not a coder. I'm learning to code through like taking a little piece from this forum and a little piece here and like frankensteining it all together to get what I need to do. But there are increasing amounts of resources to get interaction without having to, you know, learn (laughs) C-sharp script.
0: Right. And what about where audio is at for that in terms of like voice recognition? Like if I want to just have a sculpture that does a certain thing when someone yells at it, you (laughs) got to yell, Hey, it's funny
1: funny because my, my most recent kinetic sculpture was one that you yell at. (laughs) So, uh, what would happen is, uh, it was this, I was just a mass of plastic, and when it receives an audio signal, particularly a, a sustained vocal audio signal, it would inflate and then it would shake and it would cause it to illuminate and that sort of thing. And you don't even have to go very high tech to do that. There's so many different ways to do it. I What I used for that particular one was a shotgun mic and um, a sound card that uh, went to Resolume Arena, and that's a program that's like video processing with sound. But basically, all I got it to do was to send a signal out to a relay. Uh, so when it got a low voltage from the audio signal, which was like about three volts or something like that, it would turn on uh, house appliances, like fans and lights and that sort of thing. If you are using Unity to have something, there's like an audio listener. And when you're setting up your project, just you have to tell the user what is going to be used on their phone. For instance, if you're using the camera, you have to like camera usage required for AR is what you would put in. So when they open the app that you make, um, you would it would say allow this app to to access your microphone. Is Unity easier for you than these other things you're saying? Like, I mean, was it,
0: Unity must have been a breeze for you then when you when you came no, to it, Unity or are these was things not, easier? No,
1: N- Unity was not a breeze at all, and the first time I used it, it took me so long just to get something to build out to my phone. And there's always a problem with the, ne- the next update. There's always like the forum is, you know, on fire with people saying, "Why do I have a black screen right now? What's going on? Why does like I used it last week and it was fine." So, no, it's I don't want to give the illusion that any of the things that I am using c- came through me just having a knack for it i'm just getting going on interactivity like actual interactivity in augmented reality and also just getting going with sound but i learned all of this simply by watching tutorials online (laughs) i I have this desire although i'm not the person to do it but i'll just put it out there in case anyone does and i want it to be like a friendlier forum a friendly forum (laughs) sort of that is free and um, it's not a place for people to impress one another with speaking in esoteric terms. Like, this is like, I, want, I have this project, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> I'm working with this thing, this weird problem is happening. Because I see a lot of hostility towards people that don't have the right terminology, or, the ter- or not even the right terminology, the terminology that the forum, expects and and wants. You're asking the wrong question. You're like, thanks for not answering
0: my question and shaming me.
1: Yeah. And it's not just the one snide response. There's like 20 and it's like, oh, come on. They're just having a problem with their project. Like lay off. Yeah. I find that in a lot of the tutorials that I've taken to try to learn how to use Unity and all that kind of stuff, sometimes it's like, sped through and spoken in a way that is so difficult to understand and then you get somebody who's like super conversational and they're just talking to you about it in a way that is really relatable and then suddenly all this stuff that was super mysterious and seemed like it was relegated to esoteric knowledge of like computer engineers or something and you're like oh it's just that okay then I can do that (laughs) but it's just that I really appreciated when I finally found some voices that were speaking to me in a way that I could understand in a practical application and like for instance when you're learning fractions it really really helps if you've done things like baking or maybe you know how to uh, play music in a certain time signature or something like that and then there's some kind of like real-world application of these ideas and the the equations that are being used which when you just explain it it's really really hard to grasp and it almost like keeps a lot of people out of using so many different types of technologies and to like become a voice that is part of that um, community. So it keeps a lot of people out but once you just have a bridge that's like okay this is now demystified because we're just talking about it as something that we can do together and like instead of speaking in in a way that is only relatable if you've studied in a certain manner. So I just find like having accessible language and just talking to the human <laughs> that's before you or like even if that's imagined. What you're speaking about is precisely why I love working in high school workshops sometimes when uh, I've done that through TSV a couple of times or working with first year students and in workshop context because when you haven't made something yet using whatever medium it is, you have the most amazing ideas and they're so fresh and they come out of all over the place and all like these accumulated experiences. Um, that can sometimes be filtered out after you've been doing something for a long time. And so that makes me learn so much more because it's like, wow, I never, ever, ever thought about using this technology in this way. So I find that I get so much out of, I guess, inexperience of other people, and it really enriches my own practice. And so I feel so lucky to work with people that haven't Used um, After Effects, for example, or whatever, because it's just like it, it opens up all these other pathways of imagination, and then therefore I have to learn it and then share it with them. So it's like this exchange that I feel like I'm just as much a student as they are. People have kind of asked me like, what do, you, where do you see the future of augmented reality going, and what do you think it could be? And it's just like. I have no idea. Like I really have no clue, but I think um, we're all shaping that together and it's super exciting. And I know that I sound very idealistic all the time, but it makes me think about video and when video became available for people to shoot outside of a studio system with a port pack Like, yeah, it was still heavy and clunky, but you could bring it into your apartment. And because that was new, there was no history that defined who could and who could not use this medium and how. And like what crazy wacky things came out of <laughs> out of that era through um, like video art practitioners and not even having a set of terminology built up around you to, to like work within those parameters. So a lot brought in a lot of other voices um, that are sometimes like pushed out of, you know, well-worn paths or like institutions. So my dream is to work in a lab. Uh, I love teaching, but I don't love grading. I don't love doing that to people's hopes and dreams. And In in a media lab, yeah, in a media lab or, or a media lab slash research lab for different technologies and maybe working like between departments maybe like a psychology department that's studying perception or something like that like some kind of
0: amazing when we're in school where I have access to all these resources then you finish school and you're like "Ooh, it's tough out here and then of course that can affect the things that you do because the things that you have access to
1: sometimes you have to go to a department outside of your own for instance I I'm in the visual arts department at York University and I went through the cinema department to get to use um, a soundstage to shoot a video or you know like there's different resources but luckily when you're a grad student you can kind of move between those as long as you get permission through the director of whichever department so I it's been really amazing I've always appreciated the time that I have either as a master's student even as an undergrad student and now in a PhD program that's um it's really made my work possible. <laughs> Not even just from accessing uh, space and equipment, but also as a source of income. mm mm-hmm. right. It's been really, really great. Right. Um, in terms of getting funded
0: as a, yes. a master student or whatever. Yeah. That's great that that's facilitated that for you as an artist, because, yeah, like we need that, especially when you're doing such amazing experimental like stuff that, yeah, I can only imagine uh, the process must involve all kinds of you know, studios and then inside the computer and then out in real world. And then, you know, like uh, things that you just, there's no way you've got those at home, uh, in your apartment, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, when I do, when I do work outside of those, uh, you can kind of tell when my, my kinetic sculpture is like, this one's all made from garbage. (laughs) 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 This I have a lot of garbage, uh, a lot of installations and videos that use discarded coffee cups and bottles and plastic bags and things like that. But yeah, it's really nice to be able to have uh, that. I mean, I also rely on funding when I went like through. Whatever I can't. There's no municipal funding in Guelph for uh, artists, but when I was in Toronto, like TIC, and yeah, that's that all helps too. And then freelance. I've done so much freelance work. I've made plumbing videos, like all over the place. And I I worked as a clown throughout my masters and a stilt walker. Wow! (laughs) Actually, I finished up my undergrad as a stilt walker and a There's a lot I of money in stilt walking? Sometimes, you know what? I used to work for this circus. It was Zero Gravity Circus. And it was a good job. It was a nice job. <laughs> so I worked at birthday parties as a clown too. So <laughs> traveling the TTC in full clown makeup and everything. Oh my God, like, I love it. It's good that there is... Um, <laughs> that it's a decent wage because it takes a little bit of courage (laughs) to do that.
0: Where do the works, like the interactive works, like live their best life? Like
1: where do they, where are they best received and experienced? It's a really good question. I don't, I haven't done a lot of things outdoors because of electronics (laughs) and rain and wind and that sort of stuff. Although I have seen some really amazing artworks by people that did have it outdoors and it's like David Roku Be's very nervous system, for example, a space and it has been installed outside. And when you walk through it, the space, there's nothing to be seen, but you hear different instruments. So if like you've pulled your hands up high, you might hear like a harp or something. And then if you bring them down quickly, you might hear like uh, wow. um, a glockenspiel or something. I, there's just all these different instruments that are accessed through different points in space. And you're hearing it without headphones. You're hearing it without headphones. So you're having
0: a unique experience right beside somebody else who's having a, their own unique experience and no headgear.
1: Yeah. So when you come, if you're walking with people, you would make the sound composition together. And uh, I can't remember the year that this was made, but it it was at a time when almost nobody was doing this. And like, I think David Arkby made his own camera to do this. <laughs> I think some of my, I'll start with the negative and then I'll end with the positive. Okay. So um, (laughs) some of the most difficult challenges I've had were in public spaces in which they want you to do something, but they don't really want it to be, to disrupt too much of the daily ongoings of that place. So like, for instance, the... like, oh, it's here right now, but we're going to move it later. And it's like, yeah, but it's specific and it needs to be in this place because this is what it was designed for. And then it gets moved or like the sound always gets turned off or something. And it's like, that's part of it. But it's like, oh, well, the offices are over there. And it's like, well, maybe we could have thought about this before. (laughs) So uh, sometimes working like that was that particular one was just working with organizations that weren't really familiar with installation work so they wanted it but then they only wanted parts of it and then when it worked really well in temporary settings so it was like for a moment everything is just dedicated to this thing happening so they're like that one you shouted at it and it inflated it first existed as a performance and so when it inflated it fell onto the the, like it rolled out onto the audience, and they were like under this in- inflated thing, um, which was about like a plastic pollution. So it just. It worked out really really well and then and then again when I showed that work in a gallery and they were like just take this space and we want you to fill it and we'll maintain it and people had a lot of fun with it and we're uh, we were able to interact with it and then uh, with with AR what I've seen it work best with so far is within a context so like I don't make myself stuff available in the App Store because usually it's like conceptually rooted into an exhibition or into some sort of site specificity. For example um, the first time I had multiple AR works in a single show was I was invited to respond to their permanent collection. So then when people were walking around with the iPads furnished with the information of all the other works that were being shown then it was like it kind of created like a more magical moment because it was integrated into that space and it gave sort of a context and that sort of thing. And uh, my my AR stuff was throughout the gallery and it was sort of like a neat little point of discovery here and there. And I'm about to, in next March, have some outdoor AR that's a part of like a similar idea. It's rooted within this context. So I, like, I guess that's kind but of like a saying weird up,
0: You don't do it, you don't put it up on the app store?
1: no I don't put it up on the app store because uh, I did for we're talking my about very... like taking
0: your app from Unity and then like going through the process to get it on the app store and like apps or whatever
1: yeah so I have done it in the past right but it, like it just made no sense <laughs> so it was like this abstract form and it's like somebody's expecting to get I don't know like a dancing mushroom that <laughs> you know blows bubbles into the air and then they get this like weird contemporary art thing and it's just like this doesn't make sense here so, what I'll usually do is just the gallery will have some iPads. I'll build directly to the iPad and then make it available for the duration of that exhibition. But I'm still I've almost, I've only been doing this for two years, so I'm excited to have something that's more wildly accessible. Did I say wildly? I meant to say widely. Yeah, <laughs> widely you know, when accessible. it's accessible.
0: It's wild. It feels wild and wonderful.
1: <laughs> but I, but I think like context is everything for me, and it needs to make sense. Right. Like. What is this thing doing out in the world like i um as much as I love cute little characters and face filters and stuff like that, like I probably would make up a different name for myself to do those things like outside of my art practice right
0: <laughs> yeah, so. do you not know Pokemon Go anytime soon that you're coming out with or whatever <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> no, but but my daughter's got some ideas for that, so nice. <laughs> maybe i'll I'll uh, help her realize those those characters in Dreams. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, I love the, the stuff that you did with her with the film stuff. I mean, it's funny because you, you work in video, right? But I mean, your stuff does not have a video art sensibility. Like, it just looks very filmic. You know what I mean? Like, a video art, there's, you know, much more, like, self-aware of the, like, ness and, like, what video means as a media form in terms of access and anybody can point a camera at themselves, which is not at all, like, what you're doing with it. But you are working in video.
1: Uh, everything kind of begins with video. And then it spills over into other things like it spills over into sculpture and and AR and all that kind of stuff and uh, the first video that I made that was shown in like a non-student context was very much the head and shoulders frame of that you would see of like 70s video art but then I made it so my eyeballs exploded so (laughs) it was sort of like it was it was informed by those histories but then this like nerdy software fanatic came out, (laughs) always comes out. And I think it's just part of me. Like that thing that I was point like speaking to earlier that I I (laughs) sometimes, I sometimes feel like I'm such a nerd. Like I'm such a, like, uh, this is where the cheesy part comes in. It's just like, I imagine this thing and I really want to make it happen. And like, I just (laughs) use technology to kind of help Get it there, and it's it's but, like yeah. I, I
0: feel like the feel art like, world has like warped our minds maybe a little bit because <laughs> I'm not sure how how cheesy or wrong that you know like I mean it's. I maybe think I'm sensitive
1: to it, like because I always yeah. worry that I'm being maybe a little illustrative or right
0: or um, literal or yeah. What's the purpose? Yeah. Or Yeah. Yeah
1: well yeah Uh, even
0: you've got you've got a lot of the ar stuff on your site as uh experiments as opposed to projects and i mean i'm sure that some of that is just you know some projects are completed and we're you know part of a show and so you you've made that kind of separation there or whatever um but I think it's interesting in the AR stuff we're in this territory where it hasn't established its aesthetic yet so there is a lot of like novelty and I feel also like really self-conscious about everything I've done so far is like oh let me make the wall on my daughter's everything I do I do joke I was joking in the air class I was taking it's like everything I do is to impress my four-year-old you know because <laughs> a lot of it's like oh wouldn't it be cool if like we could make that butterfly like fly off of the sticker on your on your wall you know I separate that from like art production or like something where like the form has to reflect the content and there has to be a reason I mean I been correct me if I'm wrong like maybe that's not what you're doing you know maybe I'm projecting you see projection um <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm slowly getting to to a place where I think I know what I want to do with it but I'm also having fun with the stupid stuff you know I do like to impress my
1: child yeah yeah and uh it's funny that um, you said to impress your your daughter. uh sorry, your, your daughter is mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, the first AR that I was successful with was using a target image that was my daughter's drawing. Ever since she's been very, very small, I have been pretty public about, yeah, this was inspired by my daughter tearing up toilet paper and putting it on the vent and watching it blow away. And then I made a video installation in which these houses were made out of paper and they blew away. And as women, we often feel that we kind of have to hide those integral aspects of our lives that are so meaningful to us. And I guess a while ago, I just decided not to care anymore what people think about my inclusion of my personal life in things. Like, the personal is political, even if it's whimsical well, It's, radical. it's at radical times. to do that,
0: especially within the art world.
1: Yeah, people don't like you to be a mom.
0: <laughs> like, people don't yeah. tend to like you to be anything else but some vision of whatever, self-sustaining <laughs> living off of I don't know what going to openings and you know like so many creatives I know and some of the best parents I know or parents I you know admire their parenting or whatever said that to me when I was pregnant and was worried about these things like no like it's gonna totally mess with your time and your brain and whatever for a while but like it's also going to give you a lot of creative uh inspiration men I've noticed that like men like to put in like a twitter or like an like bio or whatever that they are like educator like no 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 father whatever i was like women wouldn't don't do that shit unless their business is based on being a mom because they're <laughs> like that's like putting a target on my you know what i mean well, i'm going to tell people i'm a mother so i can be undermined more <laughs> like like i don't yeah, you know yeah. so it's kind of interesting <laughs> like, yeah and I'm it's like really novel it's really
1: novel or something like <laughs> yeah. oh good for you good for you yeah, exactly you they just... want to say it
0: cuz they're proud of it and because yeah there's there's accolades to get in it and being a proud dad but like being a proud mom like watch out
1: it's really hard to talk about it with people when i became pregnant i also moved away from toronto so i could save money and have like a studio that was the goal (laughs) and uh i also turned 30 so it was like moving away from toronto becoming a mom turning 30 and when i would visit back again i was like wow people are acting funny today (laughs) and over time i realized it's like oh no they don't see me the same way anymore <laughs> and so like there was this renegotiation of like how I even fit in anymore and it's really difficult to describe to somebody what that's like so I cared for a while about you know I'm still really serious and da 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 and then it's just like you know what I don't care what any of you think because it doesn't matter anyway I'm not going to convince you one way or another so I would, might as well do the things that are important to me because that's the only way that I'm going to still be honest. Me just doing what I do is the only way that I can maintain my practice because speaking from an authentic voice, because it's mine, (laughs) the only one I can speak from. I think that people have like come around a bit more and I don't just mean to myself. I mean, I think there's been more, I've seen a lot of uh, panel discussions about mothering and artists that are mothers and that sort of thing but like in 2010 I felt pretty isolated. <laughs> it's taken me to really interesting places um, academically. Like I started researching empathy more and empathy within virtual reality. And it led me to work that Thomas Metzinger had done. And he, he's a German philosopher in the University of Barcelona. And a lot of the simulations that they make are used to create instances of empathy. But to and to develop empathy, and it's even being used as a rehabilitation for offenders. So I mean, I think that everybody's got a perspective on what being productive is. Learning through caring is productive too, <laughs> and. It can bring you to really interesting places, and that doesn't necessarily push you outside of technology. In fact, it can give you a unique perspective that makes you have some advantages in some ways. For instance, when I started making AR, I was thinking about my body, like because I was testing it. I was looking at it using my arm length, and then when I started seeing children using it, I was like, oh, their arms are too short for this to work. And then it also made me think, well, what other kind of considerations are there for, for different bodies, for people that don't have like, you know, when you're using stereos- stereoscopic imagery for certain things, like, well, not everybody can do that. And yeah, not everybody has mobili- just- not everybody has mobility and kind of being in a situation where you have to consider those things by being around like small people or being around the elderly or I think can be uh, very productive too. And it's like I'm really looking forward to the conversations that are coming up about different types of accessibility through technology just through the pandemic like there's so many people that were left out of conversations because they couldn't be in a physical space and now we're all forced to think about that a little bit more and what can we do once it is safe to get out if that hopefully that happens soon but what can we do for all those people that were left outside of the conversation in the first place so
0: because we don't all use them the same and they can be used in many different ways that like you were saying earlier we don't realize until we're in a brainstorm with other people and and specifically people who have different experiences than us because there are plenty of people inside companies who are brainstorming every day but they're they're looking around and everybody's looking like them um and big surprise they're not coming up with you know the next thing i mean it's interesting the vr thing that you were saying because i have a bit of a it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine well just the assumption of the empathy machine um in terms of like when we're activating these aspects of people's brains you know like there was like a big refugee camp thing that someone did for you the un and the un like watched it and was like bawling and stuff but it's like people who survived refugee camps like literally would say like this is like the kind of thing i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy so like we don't really want to share experiences that give more people like lived experiences of trauma that change their yeah. brain, you know what I mean? Like, that's, but no, well, I get that's what you're saying. Really like, important
1: because that's actually something that Thomas Metzinger like writes about and wanted to develop a code of ethics in um, for developers because you're embodying the experience in a way that's so much different than being a first person video game user. Um, so, say the VR is violent, like you doing it, <laughs> like slashing someone up is different than you playing it on a flat screen with a like a video game console and and people should at least be made aware of how the physicality of that and uh, like almost the phantom limbness of experience of being are is something to really take seriously because there's like neural realities that are occurring when you are within that first person Experience in that position, and they would like to be practicing embodiment within a simulation. They're
0: still making equipment for men by men that give women, like, you know, seizures. <laughs> like, you know, like, so yeah. it's like they're that closed off that they're missing out on so many of the uh, contributions and ideas that could really make make this stuff like
1: an intention, right? Like what is this, what is this experience made to achieve in the end? And oftentimes it's for some kind of commercial gain or like, you know, data harvesting or yeah. whatever. I
0: figure out that my eye, you know, feels uncomfortable when I look at this girl, cause she's skinnier <laughs> than me. And now you can sell me some diet pills or whatever, right? Like that's what they want to do yeah. with those technologies. Be like, we pick up that she's nervous. She's nervous. She feels fat. Sell her something, sell her something, you know, like that's their <laughs> You know, that's a yeah. brilliant fucking idea, like, sadly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or even, like, sell back some kind of pandering. Like, uh, uh, you know, the marketing that's like, you're beautiful just the way you are. We believe that. You should buy our thing because we know how you really are and what you really are is wonderful. Whoever you are. Yeah, whoever
0: the spin. <laughs> Yeah, they know how to do it so well, and you're like, "Oh, I was just thinking. I really needed to hear that. <laughs> I was just thinking the opposite. How do they know?" <laughs> but yeah, no, there's so much potential, and 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 therefore, like, so much, so much danger in the wrong hands. The article that I was talking about critical role of artists in advancing augmented reality. She talks about it in, historically in, in, the ref, in reference to film and stuff as well, and that people had these same attitudes, right? That it was like frivolous and like all about the, the moving image and couldn't, you know, didn't get its footing in terms of as a storytelling medium, but just like, whoa, like, you know, they just kind of get yeah. past that, that whoa. I wanted to ask you a bit about your interest in science and technology that's obvious in your work and that really connects the, the form and the content.
1: There was two things I wanted to be before I wanted to be an artist. And one <laughs> was a dentist. And <laughs> I know that's weird that I had four teeth extracted at once. And it's like, no, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's like, and then the next thing I wanted to do, I actually, I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> but uh, I did. I was, uh, I just failed so much in high school. Like I failed math, I don't know how many times. And um, it wasn't in the cards for me. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of the things that I couldn't grasp when I was in high school I use when I'm making electronic components or using utilizing electronic components in larger circuits and at the time I just couldn't make the connection between the equations I was seeing and what it really meant it's too bad kinesthetic learning wasn't very popular when I was younger I find it very useful when I'm teaching something whether it be software or how to assemble a circuit and even just working with my daughter homeschooling and before that with math and it's like well you know when we're when we're baking and we it's only a third of a cup it's because it's divided and it just gives it like a real world visualization that like really helps so i was always drawing but you know i always thought about the universe and i would have loved to have taken physics but i just couldn't get past the math to get there <laughs> so I read a lot of books um, on physics now. It's just something that I'm interested in. And uh, I think also just looking at the history. When I was, I bought a very introductory book that kind of gave the history of physics from, you know, Galileo <laughs> to, to now, to quantum physics. Actually, it even predated Galileo. But then in that history, it was talking about a lot of people who, who had to work covertly and their discoveries led them to some type of punishment or ostracization, or uh, people that had to work under a pseudonym. And that was really, really interesting for me because it was people that were working within a small confined space under some kind of duress or something, um, secretly pursuing this passion. And that was riveting to me because it's like people are discovering the workings of our physical worlds and it's such a huge contribution to all of us no one was valuing it either because you know they were not someone who is allowed to study or that the ideas were too radical that it's like no that's going to that's going to debase our current belief system and we can't have that so what's the book Black bodies and quantum cats that's what it's called it's by Jennifer Ouellette. That was something that I read, like, in my undergrad, and it always kind of stuck with me. And then just researching more about certain ideas in quantum physics and, like, the people that came to those theories, like, and how much resistance there is and how, like, there's so much animosity towards these ideas <laughs> um, so at times that led me to that project that I think that you mentioned before with the scientists who were working and uh, had to fight for their authorship of their work. Well, it's very cool too in, in, in Unity that you can
0: actually like mimic physics or like you can make things have the physical, the fit, the, yeah, <laughs> set, I don't I know mean, the right terms, when yeah. I
1: started doing uh, 3D animation, I started learning about things like Boolean. I think I heard about that in math once. And then seeing that, like, they were using things that actually we use for many, many different things, like resistance, air drag. But just, like, figuring out all of these things by simulating a world actually informed me about a lot of the physics that are are utilized for things in our actual world. I found that super fascinating. And yeah, in Unity, too, like, you can... You can make something that interacts with your movements and reacts to your, is responsive to your movements in real time because it's it's like taking those equations that are units that we actually measure things in in our physical world. So that's like so. I think that that's super exciting. <laughs> have you ever seen that? I think it's. I think it might be T V O
0: because I do love them.
1: <laughs> but I love T V O and I miss TVO. I V O. I don't have T V anymore.
0: <laughs> you can watch a lot of their stuff online now. For like since a long time, they have like the Doc Zone. They do great stuff on the Doc Zone. I love the Doc Zone. Oh my god, it's called math. Might be just called math or maths and it's a documentary series about whether math was like discovered or created it's an interesting mm. like it talks about yeah. like yeah like is it always there and we kind of figured it out or is it a way that we order the world kind of and understand the world that's very very interesting yeah
1: that's like, and then our perception of time is a, a, like a unit in which we measure our experience. The idea of zero is super fascinating. Yeah.
0: They talk like about that. I know that it was invented. Yeah. That there was no mm. zero. And I was trying to say that to impress my five-year-old the other day too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Super fascinating
0: stuff. But yeah, when you work in the world of illusions to tie it back to art, is just, yeah, you start to... I understand uh, how all those things connect because you're constructing an illusion of that real world thing but even that real world thing is, you know, explained or understood in in human terms that are also constructions (laughs) like it's just yes
1: and for me when I'm making something and I and I really want it to have the certain effect learning how to do it informs the work as much as the like the idea I had beforehand so there was this one work that I made that was an ocean a wireframe black and white image of an ocean projected onto a reflective surface and then the way that it bounced back like sending caustics and reflections all over the gallery space was like totally mind blowing for me, and then to learn the physics that are is behind that like really, really informed that work, and then it became about light and information, and <laughs> like
0: there was just yeah, that's another reason why it's so important to not undermine the novelty and the experimentation or whatever that we do in a r because so much of that like have you do you know tilt five
1: no, I don't think so
0: they're an AR company they've got lenses you can also develop them they did a big a very successful Kickstarter so, so Jerry Ellsworth I'm going to send you this podcast that goes through her whole story which is pretty crazy because she in- invented this technology and basically had to buy it back Um, and like you know went through Sony like they just went through all kinds of stuff but now she owns it But it's a board game, so you play with the family or whatever, and you can, you know, there's certain things that you can only see based on, like, what your player is or whatever, right? Or, like, then you can reveal things, like, put your hand over, like, this and, like, the smoke comes out, you know, and you reveal the, like, special card that you have or whatever. But the way that it works is projector-based, right? And basically the way she discovered it is she was working on some lenses. She did something wrong. She put something in correctly. And there was a mirror on the other side of the of the lab. And it reflected in a certain way. And it made this, like, hologram. And she was like, oh. And so that's what, you know what I mean? Wow. Like, all the science and tank and the exploration and the artistic exploration and the conceptual yeah. exploration are so important. And we don't know how important they are. But in 10 years, we'll be talking about, like, hey, that silliness was, like really onto something like McLuhan says about you know artists having seeing things because
1: of this interconnected way that we work so funny I ended up making a huge reference to McLuhan in that installation I just described to you <laughs> with the water there's this like scene with the light bulb and then it was very much about he always uses the uh, light bulb to describe the medium is the message and uh yeah he really defined so much so early that like we just needed to get there to understand what he was talking about <laughs> we had to catch up i've been ending
0: my podcast with this kind of little lightning round of questions just this or that uh, kind of questions um instagram or twitter
1: instagram for posting twitter for reading <laughs>
0: okay
1: i i really love reading snappy comebacks <laughs> on twitter <laughs> but i don't use it myself
0: Emoji or GIF?
1: Oh, ooh, tough. Emoji. I love GIFs, but they're, they're clunky sometimes between different interfaces.
0: <laughs> um, text or phone call? Phone call. Email or, or DMs?
1: Um, DMs. Official business. <laughs> Email. Chit chat. DM.
0: <laughs> Voice note or video chat?
1: Um, video chat. And then uh, for AR, projection,
0: wearable, or mediated? And by mediated, I mean some kind of device or something you're holding, something that's happening for the projection, or or some kind of a wearable-like headset. Mediated. Mediated. Cool.
1: I love the idea of them being able to control what angle they're seeing things. So I love giving them some control.
0: <laughs> Amazing.
1: Okay, well thank you so much for talking to me, Jen. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, it's been very stimulating but also a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening. Come back next week for my interview with Specwork Studio and Performance Collective members of Tough Guy Mountain, who explore the absurdity of late capitalism by creating game apps. Until then, stay creative and do be artists. I'm trying to play it like Mulan is